My name's Tangan, and we are so grateful to have you join us in our church family this morning. We are going to be journeying through Mark once again. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 15, going from verses 21 to 47. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And, <laughs> and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And it was the sixth hour. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole earth and over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. <clears throat> and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Um, and there were women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Um, Pilate was surprised to hear that he had already died. So summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud. And taking him down from the cross, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. 
tough text. There are two different types of people in this world. Those who seek the kingdom of God and those who seek the kingdom of men. This is the contrast we see play out in the crucifixion. Not strictly that Jesus, Jesus comes down. He becomes a man to become the very sacrifice for our sins. But also in the response of the people bearing witness to this event. And, and we see this really clearly when we look at the contrast between the responses of the chief priests, Joseph of Arimathea, and the centurion. You see, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and the, the religious leaders, the council, they had all the same knowledge. They knew all the messianic prophecies. They saw them fulfilled as Jesus healed. They heard them referred back to when Jesus cries out, referring back to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. They see it play out as his garments are spread around. We see this in Psalm 22, 18. That says, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they do what? They cast lots. And yet, they, the response of these people are all radically different. Well, the, well, well, the religious leaders, the ones whom you're supposed to trust, cry crucify. Joseph of Arimathea cares for the body of Jesus, lays him in a tomb. And a centurion proclaims the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. Interesting, isn't it? As we come to the text this morning, it is vitally important to remember what was talked about last week. The religious leaders have come to the end of the authority that they have. They couldn't stop Jesus on their authority. So they went to Pilate and said, Hey, buddy, you got to take care of him. He's causing trouble. As a result, Jesus is, has been mocked. He has been scourged. And now he is carrying his own cross outside the gates of Jerusalem. This is where our text begins. Jesus has lost so much blood from the scourging, the whipping on his back, that he is soon to collapse. And it is exactly this concern that causes the Roman guards to call in Simon of Cyrene. Who is Simon of Cyrene? He is described in the text as a passerby. So he is a man coming from Cyrene, which is a vibrant trading city, which would now be found in modern-day Libya. But he has had nothing to do with the response to Jesus at this point. He's coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Well, things didn't go as planned. Or at least that we know. He gets called in by the guards to carry the cross of Jesus. Why? So that Jesus would not collapse. So that Jesus would not die the death of a criminal. Well, he would die the death of a criminal. But they want to see it displayed. They want to see his life end because of the hardness of their hearts. Now, why would, why? 
Why would the religious leaders want this? They see these, they see these prophecies fulfilled. Why? Is this not the Messiah that they had looked for their entire life? That they had studied for? That they longed for? Well, perhaps in their hearts, the Pharisees and chief priests' very expectations and desires of Messiah were not quite in line with who Messiah would be. They, they expected Messiah to be just like them, probably adhere to the same rules with the same strictness. You know what? In their hearts, they probably even desired and expected that when Messiah would come, they would be praised for their steadfastness. This is totally an intentional dramatic pause. And yet... We know time and time again that Jesus heals when it is unacceptable. We know that, that they, we know that Jesus confronts them about how they use the temple, the very place of God, to charge exorbitant fees for sacrifices. We know that Jesus goes so far as to confront them and say that you have made my father's house a den of robbers, according to Matthew 21, verse 12. Further to this, they probably thought that they had set up the ideal, for, ideal kingdom for Messiah to arrive. So that when Messiah would come, it would be great. They would be praised and everything would be good. Well, see... They thought they set up the kingdom, so instead of waiting with anticipation, instead of waiting with, with excitement, they have become complacent. So that when Jesus comes, when Messiah comes and confronts them, telling them in no uncertain terms by his actions that the kingdom that they had set up was not the kingdom of God, but was the kingdom of man. These very people who were supposed to draw people closer to God, to proclaim the truth of God, and to wait with expectation for Messiah, harden their hearts to the truth that is right in front of them and demand that he be executed. Um, they reject the kingdom of God for the kingdom of men. What's the point of me making this distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man? It's to realize that it is not about the knowledge that you or I possess that is going to bring us into the kingdom of God. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, enlightening your heart and enlightening your mind that you can enter the kingdom of God, that you can see the truth of who God is, that, that Joseph of Arimathea, for example, that you could see that Jesus is the very Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, as John proclaims, John the Baptist proclaims in John chapter 1, verse 29. 
as the nails are driven through our Lord's hands, and he's hanging there. He's been stripped. He's been beaten. We see the hardness of the religious leaders' hearts as people walk by and revile him. What do the religious leaders do? I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't realize. Or they refuse to see. So instead, they join in. According to verse 31, Mark records, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him, saying to one another, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And we find out those who were crucified with him also reviled him. What happened? Why? Because we know earlier on in Mark, as Jesus healed, they thank God. What happened? What happened is we see that the hearts of the religious leaders had been hardened, that their minds had been darkened, and their eyes had been blinded to see the truth that was directly in front of them. And it's safe to say that even if he came down from the cross, they would not believe. How do I make that assertion? I make that assertion because they had seen Jesus heal. They had seen him heal a blind man. They had seen him heal a paralytic. But most significantly in terms of messianic prophecy, they saw him heal a leper. They saw the result of that. That the very healing that would had never come until Messiah came. And yet they refused. So it is in this moment of mocking they fully give in to the darkness of their hearts. A centurion, however, a member of the Roman Empire who has never heard the very word of God, who has probably never heard the Torah, has probably no expectations of a Messiah ever coming if he even knows what the Messiah is. He sees, he hears Jesus cry out. He sees the world go dark. And... We're going to go back for a second. He hears the very words that Jesus cries. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He sees the world go dark. All these things. He witnesses all these events. And he does not have the knowledge that the religious leaders in Joseph of Arimathea have. And yet John records... The, um, John... Mark records it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. John, Mark <laughs> records this. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him, like I'm facing all of you, 
saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, he didn't say, well, my job's done here. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Did you catch that? A Gentile proclaims the truth of who Jesus is. A Gentile who has no knowledge. How did he get that? Not because he had all the knowledge. Not even because he had an understanding of what the Messiah was. But rather... Rather, it was as a result of the tearing of the curtain, which we know signified the end of the Jewish sacrificial system as atonement for sins. We see this referred to when Jesus, in John 19.30, cries out, it is finished. So the very place where God had been approached, the very place where where you where the chief priest could go only once a year the the spirit of god now is accessible to all in a unique way right it is it is the spirit of god that fills the mind of the centurion and moves the heart and moves his heart God, who has moved his heart, who has enlightened his mind and has given him the words to proclaim the very truth of God that the religious leaders miss. That was a little intense. That was because it is. Finally, we come to Joseph of Arimathea, who is described as a member of the council who is seeking the kingdom of God. Joseph would have seen the miracles. He would have seen Christ. He, he, he was there at the crucifixion, looking, at his, looking on with his colleagues. And if he did not see, he definitely heard of the tearing of the curtain. He saw all of these things. But instead of joining with his colleagues and celebrating and mocking Jesus, he sees the fulfillment of Psalm 22. The fulfillment of the promise of God. He, also, he, he had been waiting for all this time. He sees the fulfillment of the man of suffering of Isaiah 53. And he sees the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. This is only because God has been working in his heart, pointing him to the truth of who Jesus is. This is not a work of his knowledge. This is God using his knowledge to show him what the truth is. Right? Joseph of Arimathea is a respected member of the council. He is seeking the kingdom of God, according to verse 43. And it is because he is seeking the kingdom of God that he goes and he asks for the body of Jesus. The text says it takes 
He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Why would this take courage? Well, being a member of the most revered class of Jewish society. And then going to Pilate and asking for the body of a blasphemer? You can bet that's going to cause some friction in the next couple meetings. Joseph of Arimathea sticks his neck out because he knows who Jesus is. Or at least he has an inkling of who he is. So much so that he takes the body down from the cross, wraps it in a linen shroud, and places it in a tomb. So this all sounds great, right? We've gotten to see God work in the minds and hearts of people, some with knowledge, some without. The beauty of that is God uses all of those people to show us a glimpse of who he is and how he works in the hearts of people. However, not however, there is a problem. And that problem is for us today, as it probably was for even the followers of Jesus back then. The problem is, once we get an idea of who God is and what he, what he is and what he is and is not like, we tend to become like the Pharisees. Because we become comfortable in our idea of who God is. And as we go through our as we go through our lives, we we make plans and we go our own way, feeling secure in our understanding of who God is. So much so that sometimes we don't even realize it, but as we've gone through our lives, our hearts have become hard. Sometimes our relationship with God is going to slip. We don't realize it because we're busy. I've been there. I've said, I'll read the word later. And then, do I do it later? No. We step out and we don't engage in fellowship. And so, our hearts become hard. Why? Because we start looking at what's ahead of us versus looking towards who is for us, who is leading us. Who we are running towards, as it says in Hebrews. Run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus. What are we looking at? And it is in this that our hearts can become hardened, even when we don't realize it. But there is good news. The good news is that our God uses everyone and can work in everyone. Because he can work in anyone for his plan and purpose. It is God who moved the heart of the centurion. It is God who stepped down and became man in Jesus for the sacrifice of sin to take place so that we could be restored into right relationship with God. And it was God who gave Joseph of Arimathea the courage to go and ask for the body of Jesus. It's not about what we can do. 
It's all about what he will and can do through us. And it's quite possible that you might be looking at your life now. You may be looking at the situations around you. You might be thinking about your own heart and being like, man, there are some areas. There are some areas that I didn't realize were harder than they should be. I want to encourage you that you're human, and that's kind of how humans work. But also, this can happen to each and every one of us. No one's perfect in this area. The good news is, I want to encourage you with these words um, that were spoken by God through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, looking at verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart, heart of stone from your flesh and give, oh yeah, heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Also, not only does, does God promise a new heart to his people, remember that the whole reason the sacrifice for sin happened was to restore relationship so that as Second Corinthians, I'm going to try and not and cough into the mic and blow out your ears. Are we off? Okay. Um, I'm okay, perfect. I'm going to turn off for a second. I'm 23 now. I'm an old man. Um, but the sacrifice of Jesus was to do this according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. That is what Jesus promises you. That as you trust in him and you believe in him and you trust in his sacrifice and his work alone, he will renew your heart. He will put a right spirit within you and he will make you into the righteousness of God. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ died so that your heart could be regenerated, made new and alive in him, so that you could be the righteousness of God and be part of the kingdom of God that is e eternal versus the kingdom of man that is temporary. Temporary and ever-changing. If you have not made Christ the king of your heart and the Lord of your life, Come talk with us. Come talk to me. Come talk to Lauren. Come talk to someone. We would love to talk to you about what putting your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone does so that you could be part of the kingdom of God. Finally, I don't know what time we have. I'm probably over time, but that's not unexpected. Um, 
there's a lot of pauses here because as I'm preaching this, I'm realizing these areas in my own heart. I don't know if you're feeling the same. If you are, please, as we go, take some time to come and be in fellowship with one another. Share those moments where God has worked in your heart to show you those areas that you may be struggling in, those areas that you may not have even been aware of, that you have been trusting in yourself to work through. We are not meant to work through these things alone. Part of the reason of being in community is to be vulnerable with one another. That as we seek the kingdom of God and we get weighed down by the kingdom of man, we know our God is still good. We know our God is still on the throne. And we know that he will be faithful. As you share these stories, it will remind each and every one of us that it is not about what we can do, but it is about God doing a work in each and every one of us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you can take away the areas of our hearts that are hard. Thank you that you can put a new heart within us. Help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to be witnesses to your kingdom and your faithfulness. Lord, we long for you right now to come and change our hearts and make us more like you. Thank you, God, for your word. Amen.